training came back this week which is very exciting and uh, at times it was pretty tough even if it wasn't that intense I've got pain in muscles that I forgot that I had anyway I think this is likely to be the penultimate episode of the working man's football podcast Um, and I've deviated uh, away from the the working man connection once more for for this week's pod Um, but before I get into that just a little story picking up off the back of uh, last week's episode, if you listened, which was City 3 QPR 2. And you know, when I became a City fan, I remember being a little bit younger. I've always openly said this. All my mates were massive United fans and playing on the street. They all wanted to be, you know, Giggs, Cantona, Scholes, York, Beckham, uh, Keane sometimes. And there were a few bumped, uh, bump, bump knees and grazes and what have you. Um, and I was the only the only City fan. And I didn't know a great deal about football at the time. You know, you just sort of follow the team that your dad supports. And I ended up asking my dad, not that I was ever really seriously thinking about changing, but I remember asking, why, why do we support City? And he, my dad just said, well... I do, and your granddad does, and that's just what we do, you know. And he never tried to sort of justify me supporting City or over persuade me. But at that moment, I knew what it was all about, which was, uh, you know, sort of sticking with your family and uh, following in your father's footsteps, as it were. Well, anyway, uh, you know, my, my dad's got his granddad to think, and you know, he went through his fair share of pain long before I did. And one story that springs to mind is the 1981 Cup Final, which is quite apt uh, because we're going to be talking about City v Spurs in this episode. 1981, I think my dad would have been 18 at the time, and he was uh, maybe back end of college. And it was around that age where um, parents were going away and you didn't necessarily go on the family holiday anymore. So he was staying with uh, with my grandma's auntie in the flats in, uh, in Salford. And uh, he was at college one day, and at the weekend, City had um, City had drawn, I think, the FA Cup final against Spurs. Um, and one of his mates said, "We're, we're going. We're going to go to the replay um, if you if you fancy it." So he jumped on his bike. He went back to back to around Salford Precinct. Um, oh, he ran home, got his bike from Salford Precinct, and he cycled all the way from Salford down to Main Road. And he turned up, and he realised in such excitement, he didn't bring any money with him to get a ticket for the replay so what he decided to do was because he was so desperate to get a ticket for I'm sure it's the same for many football fans when you park um, down terrace streets in somewhat less than desirable areas um, of working class cities you'll often get mobs of youths to come up to you and say mind your car please sir well Moss Side at that time and up until the point City moved into the Etihad was no different Um, when my dad did go to games with my granddad they used to park the car outside the same house and they'd they'd give a lady a a couple of quid to keep an eye on it with the kids and stuff so he pops around there with the bike and he leaves his watch as collateral for the five pounds to get his ticket uh, for the FA Cup uh, replay that week City v Spurs middle of the week he bobs back to Main Road pays for his ticket he's got his ticket and now he has to cycle all the way back to Salford to get the five pounds 
off my grandmother's auntie and cycle all the way back to Moss Side to reimburse the lady who'd given him the loan in order to get his ticket to the final. All that hard work to drive four hours plus down to Wembley and um, succumb to, to Spurs uh, in, in the FA Cup final. The things you do as a City fan, eh? Well, as I say, this is a City v Spurs episode. Um, and joining me this week is uh, is a mate of mine from an organisation I started to go to maybe about 18 months ago. And uh, we're the opposite way around here in Australia. Uh, of course, um, our Christmas is in the middle of summer. And winter can be a bit uh, a bit dark and a bit dull at times. And a particular winter back in 2018, I wasn't playing football that year. I was travelling quite a bit for work. You know, football was great the year before from you know, a social point of view. And um, yeah, it was a bit of a, a tough, dull kind of you know, blue time, to be honest. And um, I remember reading an article uh, in The Guardian, something about a, a man's book club. And I'll be honest with you, the first time I read it, I sort of thought, um, you know, it, I don't know, it doesn't look kind of for me. I'm a bit apprehensive about that. And anyway, I went through the year, you know, this sort of little bit of wobble, not sort of feeling myself. And I just thought, you know what, that's that's a great idea. I'll, I'll, I'll bob along and I'll go down to that. And it did me a world of good because they've got three rules at this book club um, amongst their sort of no, no dickhead policy. And first one is you can't talk about your job. You know, they think people... Uh, more than the job if you want to hear what you're spending your money on and you're enjoying doing rather than how how you earn it and, and I love that I've always really tried to take that into you know when I meet people and the small talk conversation you have with them um, when when you're getting to know someone sort of steering away from work as a result of that which has been a really positive change for me and it's helped me not sort of talk and stress about work as much which you know we all have uh, you have great days with your job, you have stressful days with your job. You can't moan about your partner, um, not that I've got much cause for that. Um, and uh, third of all, you can't moan about your sports team because there are particular chapters, they called of this book club, where blokes would just turn up and rat on the, their AFL team, playing really poorly from the week before. And it's a great book club, you know, I've read some fantastic stuff. Um, some of it is, is you know, the books that generally have a sort of central male figure, and it drives some really good conversation, and I've seen a lot of people get some really healthy benefits out of it. Um, and, um, you know, it really does what it's supposed to do on the tin, which is, you know, make blokes sort of think about being tough a different way, the way which can sometimes be a little bit harder, which is, you know, opening up and being a touch more vulnerable. And we're not talking about fully lying down on a psychologist's chaise lounge here, but, you know, we all have different problems in life and it's nice to know that there's a bit of a monthly support network there uh, where you can go and sort of chat and be open in a, in a sort of non-judged environment. So it's Will who's going to be joining me for... Um, for this week's episode, um, Will's from uh, Blighty Like Me, albeit north north of the border, um, and we're going to be tackling a couple of games uh, where we've got a couple of, of reels to go through. One of them is a classic through which um, City fared better, despite the weather not faring so better on this uh, particular night, um, and the other one is a game I was actually at last year, which was the second leg of the Champions League final. One day I'll be lucky enough to have kids, and I'm not sure how I'll be able to explain to them that um, we both won, lost and drew that game all in one go. An absolute drama. Anyway, enjoy the pod and um, I'll get back to you at the end with a little bit of a wrap up and uh, give you a bit of an insight as to sort of what's coming next to me in relation to football and part of the reason why I'll, uh, I'll start to wind this down. Enjoy.
so welcome Will to the uh, the Working Man's Football Podcast, although our connection is uh, is through a book club where we're not allowed to talk about work, which is quite ironic, um, and it's nice to have something to do obviously in isolation um, that uh, distracts us from uh, the video calls uh, at, at work and what have you, so thanks for coming along, nice to catch up with you mate. Cheers Danny, thanks a lot, no, great to be here, thanks, been enjoying this series. Now we're covering uh, two classic matches between two teams that have for the most part, at least with Spurs and to a good extent City, have always sort of floated around the top of the game and have had some great clashes over the years. Um, first of all is the, the, ballet, the ballet on ice back from 1967, uh, before both of our times really, but you know many famous names that our forefathers um, worshipped before, before we started following our respective clubs. And then a recent clash, um, probably just one of the best football matches of all time, period. Um, a game which City managed to win, lose and draw all at the same time. Um, which was the Champions League quarterfinal from last year. But before we get into that, um, you, you, my friend, don't necessarily have an accent of a man from the Seven Sisters Road. So what's your connection with Spurs and how did you become a Spurs fan? It's very true, yeah. How did I get blighted with being a Spurs fan? It's, it's a question I ask myself often. <laughs> um, no, it's, 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 I think similar to you, you know, it's our dad's. You know, it's, it's my dad is a, uh, a huge Spurs fan. Uh, he's from around that area. And then, yeah, moved up to Aberdeen uh, up in Scotland, you know, not long before I was born. And uh, so so that was it. And uh, no, uh, we're, so we both live in Australia where it seems like people get a choice over what uh, football club they're going to support here. But it's certainly not the way with us, is it? I mean, <laughs> you you know, if your dad supports a team, you know, that's it. You you know, your Spurs or you say so. Uh, yeah, so that's um, that all comes from him, and I mean, I spent you know most of my kind of early football watching career watching Aberdeen, um, you know, which is yeah definitely kind of built in some good resilience, I think, for my years of watching Spurs, and then you know I, I was always kind of followed Spurs, but got into them you know particularly kind of when I was around about you know nine or ten, and you know it was the Gaza Lineker kind of era, and that just oh. feeling that you know we had. Yeah, particularly around Italian ninety, we had the best, most exciting player in the world playing for us, and you know, from then, I mean, that just really kind of you know lit, lit the spark, and then from then on, yeah, being a Spurs, Spurs tragic, and it's there's obviously been plenty of plenty of tragedy since then, but you know, the last few years, it's it sounds funny saying this, but the last few years have been amazing and just been the best years to be a Spurs fan, even though of course we haven't won anything, but uh, it's you know, it's it's been a great period for us. Probably are those periods of time in football where a club dominates and they maybe don't get in as much um, with the, the trophies as as their football deserves and the history books unfortunately don't afford them the credit that they deserve. I could probably think of maybe Everton, you know, in the late eighties, um, who were probably you know one of the best teams, if not the best team in the country, but especially with the European ban as well, they just weren't afforded that chance to really showcase how good they were. So. Look, I think Spurs are going to win something at some point whenever football comes back. They obviously came close um, came close uh, last year with the Champions League final. And I, I, as I watched that game back, which we'll come on to a little bit later on, um, we were a good side last season. We were fantastic in the league. Um, we were starting to click in Europe, but Liverpool were that good. I'm not sure we'd have even beaten them ourselves, if I'm being perfectly honest. And um, the Champions League is the all-elusive one for us, so... A Champions League final's never to be sniffed at, mate. You've got to be happy with that, doing it as happy as you can be, even if you don't win it, haven't you? Uh, it was, it was just yeah, all a dream. I mean, it started with this that we'll we'll be talking about, but it was just this one dream that lasted for a few weeks, and 
yeah we we just all dared to dream and hey it was worth it it it's uh we didn't end up winning it but oh, goodness me what a ride that was over yeah. <laughs> the, the kind of few games that preceded it well let's uh, let's circle back to that uh, a little bit later on first of all we've got a classic that we uh, that we need to cover off when football really was pure proper and, and nails hard because you look at that main road pitch from uh, December 1967 and there is no way that the ref had let a game go ahead now. It's um, <laughs> you, you must have played on a few car parks or, you know, communal garages or, or cul-de-sacs where the road was, you know, chock-a-block with ice and not safe for playing as a kid. That's what it reminded me of anyway. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, plenty. I mean, that's what most pitches look like in Aberdeen, to be fair. But, um, <laughs> no, I mean, oh, goodness me, the... I mean, apparently, because I heard it was kind of touch and go whether that game was going to go ahead as, as well. So, you know, for um, you know, nineteen sixty-seven, for a pitch to be that bad, you know, it must have been it must have been really bad. And yeah, the snow's falling like rain, and you just can't believe it's going ahead. But hey, it, yeah, it, it uh, you guys looked like it was, uh, yeah, just a beautiful surface that you were um, stroking the ball around on somehow. So. No, it's uh, made light of that. Well, even when Greaves opens the score and he sort of has to sort of judder to a halt on the ice, it's that slippy, and I think he's just a little bit taken aback by how slippy it really is. That there isn't really much of a celebration when he scores. He's like, oh, okay, you know, this is what we're dealing with. It's, it's, it's a mess. But speaking of uh, of Jimmy Greaves, I mean, at the time, Greaves didn't make it into the um, the England World Cup starting eleven, did he? When they beat West Germany, he missed out unfortunately, but. He was arguably um, one of the best of, if not the best strikers in, in the league at the time, wasn't he? His goal-scoring record is phenomenal, isn't it? Oh, yeah, so phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, he's still, by a long margin, our, yeah, our all-time number one scorer at Spurs and, um, yeah, one of the absolute greats of the game. And, um, you know, he, he was the one, you know, my dad, you know, growing up as a as a Spurs fan, you know, he was his Harry Kane, you know, he's he's the the star yeah. player, you know, when I'm when I'm growing up, he's the one that uh, it's Jimmy Greaves, my dad was telling me all the stories about and yeah, there's this one he always tells actually he was uh yeah, he scored a hat trick against Leicester, I think it was. And he, my dad was there and he saw this this uh goal that he scored the third and he picked it up on the halfway line and just, just kind of, it sounds like an almost kind of Messi-esque goal where he's just jinking past everyone um, and then just nonchalantly kind of slides it into into the goal at the end. And he yeah, said so the keeper was on his backside. He said he thinks he saw some of the Leicester players laughing. It was just that ridiculous a goal. Wow. And um, yeah, I, got, I actually got a chance to um, to meet Jimmy Greaves uh, oh, nice. quite a while ago, a few years ago. And I was like, I've you know, I've got this like ten seconds or something to speak to him, and um, I said, there's only one thing I can ask him. I've got to ask him about that goal, and uh, yeah, he said he didn't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm Just one of many, you know, one of many. He scored hundreds of things. I mean, it's uh, yeah, but no, I mean, what, I mean, our all all time great striker. I mean, when you think of what Kane's done, I mean, Kane's still very. He's nearly hundred goals behind Jimmy. You know, he's um, yeah. still got a long way to go. So uh, that just talks about it. When I look at the City team here, I mean, Oaks, Glyn Pardo, who, who recently passed away, uh, Tony Buck, City legend, Mike Doyle. Mike Doyle was such a staunch blue, he used to say, you know, you either come from the blue three quarters of Manchester or the, or the red quarter. 
Um, and, you know, Bell, Lee, Summerby need no introduction. But great support acts from players like Tony Coleman and, you know, Neil Young. I think if he'd have played in most of the teams in the league, he would have got a lot more kudos than, than he, he gets a fair bit, obviously. He was a top player, but he would have got, you know, even more. Who were the, you know, the the, the legends that you look back on of this, this Spurs team? Who were the ones that, you know, your dad, aside from Greece, would have got really excited to go and watch or... You know, you, you really appreciate as the the muddy knees defender of the team. Who, who were those boys back in the day for Spurs? Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, and this team was packed with them as well. I mean, it's that you know, even just you know, takes home what incredible performance this was by City because yeah, these are these are no mugs that you're playing against. I mean, these are some of the absolute. Certainly, greats of, of Spurs. You know, played for us over the years. Um, you know, they just won the FA Cup. A lot of these guys, you know, were still in the team. You know, they won the UEFA Cup a few years later. And you, you look at them. You've got Pat Jennings in goals. Yeah, He's wow. regarded as probably our best keeper ever. And we'll, we'll talk about this, I'm sure. But I mean, he had a phenomenal game, and it would have been you know a rugby score if he uh, hadn't been on playing like he had. Uh, you know, you've got obviously Graves, you know, greatest goal scorer. We've got Dave Mackay playing um, in in centre mid. I mean, he's regarded as probably our greatest central midfielder and, and certainly one of our best midfielders. And all these other players, you know, there's, there's uh, Joe Kinnear, Alan Mullery, Terry Venables, Alan Gilzan. They're, you know, very kind of very established, experienced players. And um, yeah, we're made to look like we look like a bunch of amateurs on, on that afternoon. But um, now some some serious pedigree there. Yeah, I think Kenneth Wollstoneholm says you know City probably the most exciting team in the league at that time, and you know with with um, Mercer and Malcolm Allison. Little story for you: I had two terrapins at one point, and they were called Mercer and Malcolm um, after our famed uh, managerial duet. Um, but they were a really exciting, you know, team at that time. And you just think how strong football is today. You look back at this period and you think, you know, England have just won the World Cup. You got this sort of, you know, West West Ham um, contingent that were that were obviously quite present in that team. You know, United pretty strong um, and, and starting to come about at that time. And even overall, British football is a lot stronger. Like um, Celtic, um, uh, you know, a super strong team. Then you know, around that time become first British team to win the European Cup and you just think man what a time to be alive the swinging 60s and probably a time when I read Mike Summerby's uh, autobiography he was best mates with George Best as you probably know you know they owned a, a boutique menswear shop and they'd go out and they'd play and they'd have a quick drink you know with the respected teammates but then they'd just be out together and he, I remember once seeing Michael Johnson out in 42's 42nd Street in Manchester once and that was as close to I came as to seeing a footballer out drinking, but he was on a long sort of injury layoff, and what it must have been like, you know, to, to go around North London, or as a Chelsea fan down the King's Road, or whatever it might have been, and just see lads that have a kick about that afternoon, like, I play amateur football now, and you know, you go out for a beer at night, it, I imagine it's like that, but obviously with a lot more fame, it just different world back then, the game, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, no, I think that's... Um... Yeah, as a result, you get these kind of big characters and these great stories that have kind of lasted the ages, probably mm. from that era. But, uh, yeah, definitely. No, some, some big names there. Yeah. Well, um, I think you've uh, you took the words right out of my mouth with Pat Jennings. It's one one at half time. Uh, I think it's Colin Bell that, that equalises, um, and obviously City should be really ripping away with it by the break. But Jennings, he makes the first save and he sort of hobbles up and he probably smashed his hip on the ice and he's, you think, oh. It's, 
he's not going to do anything here for the rest of the game, but he's you virtually can't get the ball past him. He's, he's like that video that's floating around social media of the cat that uh, it's, it's, it's saving goals in front of the sofa. He's just amazing. It's just... That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I would have heard... Um, you know, my, my dad was a, a goalkeeper uh, in his day as well, so he was you know, he kind of particularly you know, focused on the goalkeeper. So actually, I'd, I'd have probably heard more stories about Pat Jennings growing up than I would have done about Jimmy Greaves. And, um, you know, I'm watching that, you know, re- the replay of, of uh, Bally on Ice, you really you understand why. I mean, yeah. it, not, not exaggerating, I mean, it would have been double figures if he hadn't been uh, on the type of uh, form that he was and he's just incredible. I mean, his, his positional sense, his speed, I mean, there was shots raining in from all over the place. Um, there's a cracking attempt in the first half, I think it was heading straight for the top corner. Um, I can't, can't remember who it was, whether it was, maybe it was Bell or, or Coleman, but um, yeah, it just, you know, managed to tip, tips it over the bar the last minute. Plenty of others, the one where he tipped it onto two posts and yeah. just got down so quick, you just thought, yeah, they a certain goal and he somehow managed to save it. And, um, unreal. Yeah, you see what all the fuss was about. Yeah. Un- unreal, unreal. Well, eventually, you know, City do come out and do manage to find the back of the net. There's only so much Pat Jennings can do to uh, uh, halt the, the onslaught. Um, obviously, Somerby rises for a, a decent header, a really nice move. Young, you know, I think when... Um, when Young passed away, we had Jekko in our team and we had all these flair players like Aguero and Silva and Jekko was just a bit more sort of old-fashioned and people used to draw some parallels with Young because he'd always try really hard Jekko and he'd frustrate you sometimes and he'd miss some you know pretty basic stuff as I covered off with the old man last week. But sometimes he'd just do the simple things really, really well. Um, and and you, you look at Young... Some of the stuff that he does is, is genius, but most of the goals that he scores is just when he does the basics really, really well. Um, so he gets his just just desserts in the end, and then to- Tony Coleman obviously rounds it off. And um, yeah, there's only sort of Franny Lee out of the front out of the front line that really doesn't get in the mix. And at that time, I think he'd recently only just signed for City, come from Bolton. What a career, RK. Bolton City City Chairman, um, toilet roll manufacturer company owner slash chairman. You know, when football chairman <laughs> ran businesses like that, like you talk about uh, Dave Mackay and obviously... He ended That's up a colourful life. Yeah, yeah, he ended up at Derby, That's didn't great. he, with Brian Clough. You know, Clough recognised he could be this ball-playing centre-back and he'd bring the ball forward and obviously we all know that that, that ends it ends very well and he becomes Derby manager eventually. But, you know, you watch the Damn United and you see the arguments between um, Cloughy and the Derby County manager and you hear these stories about, like, Sammy Haman. Ken Bates, these old school chairmen that ran like haulage companies, toilet roll companies, they're all airline magnates and shakes these days. It's just a total change, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I cut from a slightly different cloth uh, these days. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the thing that um, really struck me watching this was the. Um, you know, the speed of the play. Yeah. You know, it was it was relentless. I mean you think, you know, I was expecting right fifty years ago, you put on a sheet of ice, you know, this is gonna this won't have aged well. You know, this is gonna look pretty dated. But not a bit of it. I mean, you know, the slick the passing, the movement, um, you know, you guys were relentless in terms of your passing play. I mean, it was very similar to you know, watching the city of today, you know, a very modern city, you know, with kind of Sterling Aguero and Silva, you know, interchanging passing. I mean, it was, um, yeah, really kind of phenomenal attacking performance uh, when, when you see it like that. 
Yeah, I think it showed you that technically the players were obviously of a high quality, but probably from a fitness point of view, they weren't. So when they're playing on normal turf, you, know, you can move the ball around, but do they have the fitness to be dribbling, to be you know, really giving each other the run around with one touch type passing? Neither team can sustain that, so they sort of don't play that way against each other. But it shows you when they're up against it and the, the, the ball's a block of ice, being played on a block of ice, They've got the technique to play one touch and control the ball that comes at them, you know, at pace at times. Um, and yeah, some of the some of the moves, both teams, uh, some of the interceptions and the balance. To sum it up, before we move on, you can see why it's called the ballet on ice. <laughs> well, I have to I have to ask you before we move on. I mean, yeah, suggestions of uh, studs tampering to uh, <laughs> probably <laughs> make the difference and give you an edge. <laughs> Probably. You talk us that. It sounds entirely legal, but a, a pretty smart move, wasn't it? By was it your, your captain or, or someone else that suggested to the boys that if it would have been anyone, stats? it would have been Malcolm Allison, I imagine, um, because you know he was sort of the, you know, Joe Mercer, you know, gentle Joe, Malcolm Allison. You've probably seen the pictures at Old Trafford. You know, he'd go and antagonise the United fans. Um, if there's anyone that you know wanted the edge. It was it was Malcolm Allison, and there probably was a slight cultural change at the club when the mantle did pass on from from Joe Mercer to, to Malcolm Allison. Um, you know he was very bravado and you know in your face, and you know we kind of don't care if we're brash. Um, but he was unashamedly so. I mean, City wearing a red and black striped kit in Europe is a nod of the hat to AC Milan. You know he had the humility and the deference to say we're good but we're not that good, you know, and we'll nod the hat to a team like that and hopefully it brings us a little bit of luck. Didn't, we actually did quite poorly when we went into the European Cup the first time and we still, which is a nice segue onto the next game that we need to have a chat about, we still haven't managed to uh, lift the all-elusive European Cup either. So it's 1-0 at half-time, as the cliche goes. Um, Son's uh, separating the sides so far in the first leg from uh, the uh, the Champions League final quarter-final last year. But at this point, you're heading for a return leg at, uh, at City and um, no Harry Kane uh, in this game. And we talked about the importance of him earlier on. You know, he's, he's your modern day Jimmy Greaves, um, or is at least set to become. What was it like for, for you guys being 1-0 up, heading up to the Etihad for that second leg of that quarter final without Kane? You know, were you apprehensive or were you confident? Definitely apprehensive, yeah. <laughs> and and I feel a bit of a kinship with you know, with you because I think you've also got this you know inbuilt dread inside you that things could go seriously wrong and they're gonna let you down and, and hurt you yet again. But um, yeah, I mean we we went into that game. I say that you know the first game was was incredible. I mean we we never thought we'd have made it there anyway because you know we were very lucky to get out the group phase, you know the group stage of the competition and um, you know I think we just had that one point three going into that and then the the whole thing about that first leg was around the finally getting to play a Champions League game at the new stadium and you know you, you, I don't know if you remember but you know there was that oh, we did that silly ad in the tube stations you know where it said the only place you'll be able to watch Champions League football in London it was a picture of the stadium and you know then the construction was delayed and it looked like we were going to get knocked out and it was going to be serious you know serious egg on our face and um, yeah apparently an Arsenal fan um, grasses up to the advertising standards and 
said that uh, we're making claims that we can back up. So we actually got an official slap across the wrist for that. Oh, no. And um, so it was such a relief in that first the first leg, you know, to actually play a huge European you know, Champions League game in New Stadium is what it was built for. And yeah, you know, it's obviously yeah, I just remember the atmosphere was incredible and yeah, we were we were probably pretty lucky to it was a tight game, but we we're pretty lucky to get that uh, you know, son goal fairly late on. And then but coming into the second leg, I mean, I, I'm still scarred obviously from some of those absolute pace things that you've hammered, yeah, that you, you've dished out to us in, in recent memory. And and that's what I was thinking. I was like, please just don't do that again. Yeah, right. You know, we've come this far, it's been such a great ride. You know, we're here in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Don't embarrass us. And the guys were flying at that point. I mean, you were you had this amazing season and you're on for the quadruple, scoring for fun, and um, I was I was worried about what you might do to us. Uh, I have to say so. So yeah, to, <laughs> to answer your question, I was going in with trepidation, um, especially lacking Kane. You know, missing Kane. Yeah, we we've got um, yeah Son and Mora who could probably score, but I thought you'd have too much, and I was really worried, especially how you guys start games that you would just get out of sight, and that would be it, and you'd, you'd dish us out a bit of hammering. Yeah, I think. What yeah. What did you think? Do you were you confident? I was probably stressed to the nines with having a wedding ten days away that travelled halfway around the world to, to finally uh, uh, to, 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 to finally uh, well I guess yeah obviously take part in is, is the groom um, I just about got over my jet lag and the day before I think I'd spent the day sort of doing a dry run of the wedding with all the vendors who you know thousands of facetimes with them and pulling it all together and sort of finally felt like I could start to relax and enjoy my break so I went to the game with my dad my niece. Um, and my younger sister who's who's 18 um, and you know both of those younger ones I've, I've taken to the first games um, a long time in the past and my little niece more recently so I was more just enjoying if we lost that we'd sort of come that far and we'd make a drama of it there was a, a few years before where I think it was Schalke who played in the Europa League and it was a similar setup where we'd gone behind but we won and we still went out and the atmosphere this night in the Etihad, I went on my own after work, I worked in Manchester and I went to Mary D's and the atmosphere was just, even when we beat United 1-0 in the league uh, in 2012, company's header. Um, and yeah, I'm trying to think of a few others that come on, even, even the QPR game, because there was obviously nerves in that game. These two are the top two atmospheres I've seen within the Etihad and I'm talking about 10 out of 10 atmosphere the United game and the QPR game being like sevens and eights, and then it's usually like somewhere between three and six at the Etihad, if I'm being honest. Um, I might be being a bit harsh there, um, because I, you know, I miss Main Road, and that, that's a big part of it too. So I was just sort of trying to enjoy the moment a little bit, because I don't get to experience many games with my family, and we had seats that were very close to where the season ticket was. We've moved it now, and just my dad goes on it. Um, to where we sat when Aguero scored the winning goal so it was nice to be back there with my sister and just enjoy that and before I could really even take in the atmosphere we're 1-0 up and it's right forget about you know what this all means and how it feels to be back game on um, yeah. and, and, and you literally yeah. think what you've just said we're going to be out the box here um, but the first 25 minutes the craziest 5 minutes of football obviously I saw was when you know, we, we, we beat QPR because of, of what we accomplished in doing so. 
But in terms of an opening opening of a football match, I've never seen anything like it, and I don't think I ever will. And Sterling was just on fire this season. He was really finding his groove from how Guardiola had groomed him. And not just that, Bernardo Silva was really kicking into gear. Everyone we gave the ball to could do something. And that's what was really exciting for us, I think, um, and, and, and made for such an entertaining start. It was just phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, we were just watching the replay of it there, and the note was just incredible. I mean, it just, um, you know, it felt when Sterling scored that first goal, it sounded like he'd scored a last minute winner. Yeah. Get onto that, obviously. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, the. Oh, the ra- I mean, the racket and, you know, the energy in the stadium, it was just. Uh, yeah, it, it was amazing. You knew it was going to be a special night, but just not that, not that special. I mean, <laughs> five goals in twenty-one minutes. I think it's the the fastest time that five goals have ever been scored in Champions League history, and it, it was oh wow, just just absolutely amazing. I mean, I remember when Sterling's goal went in. It it was like all my worst fears as a Spurs fan had come real. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's gonna happen. This is it. It's gonna happen. They're gonna demolish us. It's gonna be seven nil again. And <laughs> I got to, to watch this, and it just made the relief even more when when Sonny went up and scored the other end. But the, that Sterling goal, I always remember it because I was screaming at the TV. Uh, it is the near carbon copy of the goal that he scores in the opening credits to the Champions League program. Yes. You ever yeah, watch that? I spotted that. I remember screaming at Trippier. He's giving him, you know, half the pitch of space, and I was like, "Don't you even watch the highlight show?" <laughs> the work's done for you. Everyone knew he was going to do that, and he's cut in and bent it, you know, around uh, um, Toby and uh, into the corner. I mean, beautiful goal, beautiful goal. Really nice goal. Uh, it's, yeah, top, it's, it's, it's poor defending all round, to be honest. And I'll, I'll let you pick apart the Spurs team, but this time. I mean, I went to the game in the league at the weekend a few days later, albeit very hungover from a, a, a very intense drinking session in York on my stag do, where I dressed as a park ranger riding a kangaroo um, to York versus Spennymore Town. And there was some dubious defending in that game. Separate podcast to follow. Um, but the, you know, the, the pace at which this Champions League game went versus the league game. And Laporte at the weekend, he, he really organised the back four not that there was as much threat um, you know there was, I think everybody was just spent after what had happened in the week but he's he's a little bit at sixes and sevens and he's been a really good defender for us I think overall he's been a good signing but this night he wasn't particularly at the races and company as well you notice I think it's with the second goal for you guys company he, he, he doesn't step out but also the line recedes so there ends up being this, this pocket for Son to slip into um, to, to score the second and I think this is the thing with company I'm going to say this in a safe environment where other City fans aren't around me and can perhaps have a pop at me I don't I wouldn't say he was overrated but at times there were some things that he that he did that people overstated and he had a massive tackle in him he was a fantastic leader and yeah he could come up with a goal and he really really loved the club but you look at even the opening um, the very opening passage of play the ball goes backwards and as he licks the ball out to the right back like he, he sometimes lacked a bit of power in his pass. We signed him as a defensive centre midfielder and he couldn't pass it six yards sideways. He was a crunching tackler and a great man marker and great in the battle and old school that way. But 
sometimes when it came to positioning, sometimes when it came to distribution, not so clever. And if you really pick this game apart, there are times where he is a little bit out of out of position. And when you've got that Laporte and players like Son that you're playing against, you get punished, and and they do. Son's yeah. just you can't yeah. give him an inch. Yeah, I mean, Son was just on fire at the time. I mean, even, yeah, he was dark. Uh, Sterling, at the moment, at that time, you know, Sterling was, was just everything in the back of the net for you guys. And Son was, was kind of like that for us. I mean, just one of those nights where so clinical. Those first two chances, I mean, the thing was, we were we were under a lot of pressure. Um, you know, in, in, even in that 20, 21 minutes, you know, the opening 21, it, I mean, it was a real, it was a kind of ding-dong game, but a lot of the attacking threat was, was from you and, and it was just really how clinical Son was with those two chances that we that we took and um, yeah I mean Laporte I mean it was I mean, it's kind of tough I mean I think he, he got I'd say in the first one he was you know he probably got his feet a bit tangled up and couldn't do too much with it and yeah Son just hit a very kind of hard shot that um, got through uh, but yeah, the second one, I mean, it was obviously a very heavy touch in a bad area, and you know, before you know it, you know, Mora's got a lot of pace. You know, he's really kind of broken the lines there, and you know, Ericsson, you know, obviously didn't end up great with him, but um, yeah, he, he was mm. a phenomenal player on his day, and and played a very intelligent pass back to Son and cracking finish uh, for you know for our second goal and. Before you know it, we're yeah, we're, it's, it's maybe just maybe <laughs> it might be on here, but it's such a long point at, at that point. You know, it's yeah, that's two two one, and um, there's just basically no defending going on, and you've got no idea. You just think, God, if this goes on, this is that's after ten minutes, and you think, God, if this goes on for the whole game, we could be looking at something yeah, absolutely bizarre here. Oh, well, I mean, you know, seven goals and eighth, if you count, obviously, disallowed one, it, it, it was. But I'd actually forgotten about Ericsson until you mentioned there. And what a bargain he, I mean, he did end a little bit acrimoniously, but what a bargain he was for you. I think he was maybe 12 million pounds, 12 million euros. It's virtually the same thing these days. But I saw him play for Ajax against City in the group stages, of, I think it was 2013, if I'm not mistaken, 2012. And, oh, he was just metronomical. He's just so slick, technically, so gifted. You know, and if it wasn't for him, probably Sigurdsson might have gone a bit further at Spurs, wouldn't we say? Yeah, definitely, yeah. You know, I mean, we were, we were linked with him again, at least once, kind of after Ericsson's arrival. And when it became clear just how completely reliant we were on, on Ericsson, I mean, there was a, a long period there. And I think Spurs fans are you know, are, are pretty kind of sanguine about it now and, and you know, appreciative of, of just incredible impact he had at our club for season after season. I mean, he was number one, you know, on, you know, on every kind of measure in terms of assists and, um, you, know, uh, you know, in terms of his kind of passes through into to scoring, creating chances. And he obviously came up with some great goals and, you know, in terms of goals scored from outside the box. I mean, just consistently, season after season, number one, you in the league as well, not just at Spurs. And so, yeah, we, we, we can't forget that, even though it, it ended so in the worst possible way that it some kind, sometimes does with footballers, where you just, why are you doing this? Why are you kind of tarnishing your amazing legacy with us? Yeah. And, you know, why does it have to end like this after such happy times? But, 
yeah, I mean that that night was an example of of what he can do. He was still playing. He was definitely kind of on dipping below what he had been, you know, in the lead up to you know, the seasons before that. But I mean, he was just an you know incredible player. I mean, a, a very very um, intelligent user of the ball. You know, a pass like that, you know, always seemed to make the right decision. Um, and yeah, yeah, top top player, top player, one that we we'll, we'll definitely miss. Yeah. Good, um, good Premier, good, good overseas input to the Premier League, no doubt about that. From one to another, because he's probably picked up the mantle for City. I've touched on this before. Yeah, I think um, getting us back in the game was Bernardo in the end, and he started pretty slow for City when he signed for us. Uh, and that's not a criticism. Um, I think he was shielded somewhat. I think Mourinho probably tried to do something similar with Mkhitaryan at United, and it didn't come off in the end. He obviously went to went to Arsenal, and he's done he's done slightly better, but. With City having you know that depth, I think they were able to be patient with Bernardo, and in the end, it's paid off because I think about the start of this season um, and some of the goals and performances that Bernardo was was chipping in with could really start to see him revving up a gear towards the back end of, of last year and, and becoming a more integral player. And um, yeah, he, um, he, what he did in terms of just nipping in from the right and getting into a dangerous spot is become a little bit of a hallmark of his now. Um, and, and just to think he's I'm not a super Mares fan um, but equally I don't think he's a he's a poor player um, I just think because we have Bernardo Mares isn't necessarily a player that we needed um, and it's easy to see because of what Bernardo does he can keep most players out of the team he's, he's been a really good signing for us and um, he was a cheeky cheeky little equaliser um, in the end and of course then it's, it's game on again and it's you know 2-2 two -two and what the hell's going on <laughs> Just, just mad, just mad. I mean, he was, I mean, just, yeah, just what you said, I mean, he, he was a guy, as a, I guess, as a, a neutral, I, I probably didn't appreciate him enough in, until that game, you know, until this game, and he, he gave us a terrible time. I mean, he had, you know, Rose on toast in that game, and, you know, he obviously scored the equaliser, um, and, you know, and, and took that chance well, but, yeah, when he went to, when he went to 3-2 up, I mean, it was his real... You know the interplay between him and um, De Bruyne, you know, on, on the right that um, kind of helped to create that chance for uh, where De Bruyne whipped over a cracking ball for for Sterling to put in the net. But yeah, a lot of that was um, yeah Bernardo Silver and he's just kind of trickery on, on the edge of the box. So yeah, yeah, really really impressive performance and I mean amazing. You know, thinking about it now and in. Yeah, particularly rewatching the game. How on earth was De Bruyne on the losing team? Well, he yeah. wasn't the losing team; he was on the winning team. But I mean, yeah, I mean, performance he put in, and yeah, with with those goals, and yeah, in particular, I think Aguero's goal as well uh, was just that was just sensational. I mean, his passing, his carrying of the ball was just. Yeah, different class. He was, he was a notch above everyone else on the pitch, wasn't he? He often is, you know, and sometimes he's a bit, you know, over-relied on and it's it's straining with a couple of injuries. But I was listening to a different podcast yesterday. It's um, Quickly Kevin Willie Score with Josh Widdicombe from The Last Leg. And they had Richard Shaw on from, um, he's mainly Palace and Coventry. And he was talking about Gary McAllister, you know, and then we thought when Coventry went down, uh, Gary Mack had just, you know, dropped down the league. He was getting older and he went to Liverpool. You know, and Shaw's view of it was he, he sort of he would have helped, you know, mentor if you like Gerard. And you look at the way sometimes Gerard would spray the ball, and you know how he would look up, and how he would just find that moment to to do so. 
can see bits of that in Gary McAllister. And when you look at De Bruyne and the age he is and how good he is, um, you know, he, I don't know much about his time at Wolfsburg, but he certainly didn't have that as part of his development at Chelsea. Yet you look at the player that he's, he's become at still, you know, relatively young age, and you think, stuff he can do with a football, you know, how he can bend the ball, but do it with so much venom in it. You know, I, I used to look at, like, Kolarov, and it was just, it wasn't hitting a hope, he generally got it in the right spot, but he could land it on top of a golf tee, De Bruyne, with just so much power, it's, I, I can't think of anyone I've really ever seen like it, um, and he can put, when he wants to, he can put his boot in as well, like, he will work hard and track back, he's, he's not a, a fair weather player, really, really lucky to have him, he's just a joy to watch, he's, he's fantastic. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That, that game was almost a, you know, a showcase of a De Bruyne masterclass. Um, yeah, really. I mean, it's obviously not something that anyone will probably be talking too much about in, in the years to come when they remember this game. But, you know, he, yeah, that, that range of skills that he's got, you know, he was, you know, there's quick, fast interplay for the first couple of goals. Um, you know, there's that amazing, like, whipped ball that he put over for Sterling's second goal. Um, you know, there's a long, I think, a long pass as well that, that kind of set up the chance, and then I, I mean, I, I think out of all the goals in the game, I think Sonny's second goal was was a real, um, was a really nicely taken goal, well worth. Yeah. But yeah, your goal, the um, fourth was was probably the pick of the bunch. You know, Guido's goal, and just seeing a player like De Bruyne, who you tend to think of more in terms of his passing, but he just carries the ball from. Um, you know, ran about the halfway line, I think, and you know, beats at least a couple of Spurs players. You know, plays a perfect ball through for Aguero, and obviously, you know, what's going to happen next after that? But what what an all round performance by De Bruyne, just really showing off all his skills. It's mad because I mean, I'm I'm 32 now, which is you know still young enough to be playing football, but I'm at the old older end of it now without you know moving on to eventually playing vets. But when you play you know amateurish football, you're playing against 18 year olds. And I, I can't run as fast as some of these 18-year-olds when they've got the ball and I haven't. So I look at De Bruyne and I look at how he can skip past players with the ball. And he's only you know a few years younger than I and I'm just like, wow. You know, you feel like a different species at the time. It shows you how you're ageing even. Just you get the wrong side of 30, it's all downhill, mate. <laughs> um, but nice strike from Aguero. And being sat where I was sat and the way that he hit the ball, I remember saying to my sister, it really brought back memories of his finish against QPR. It was a similar angle, um, yeah. albeit a bit more first time. Um, but really nice goal. And yeah, the roof just lifts off the place then. And you think, stupidly, game on. You know, this is in the bag. Um, but you should have learned from the first 25 minutes of the game. It's not done until the whistle goes. And um, yeah, the mood, how it changed when Lorente scored. Oh, yeah. I mean, it went dark in that place when he scored. It went riotous, almost. And then the fact that we had the VAR decision with Sterling a little bit later down the line, which we'll talk about. What, what I imagine, because I'll honestly say now, uh, in retrospect, it's a goal. It's a perfectly legitimate goal. If it doesn't hit his hand, it hits his hip, and it goes in. But at the time, there was a lot of controversy around it. What were your thoughts on it? You know, probably watching it on TV and reading about it in the news. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's one to think about a lot because, you know, particularly, you know, whenever I have discussions with people around VAR and, uh, you know, a lot of it comes back to this game and you kind of think about it, um, 
you know, it's one of the most high profile at the time, you know, this is one of the most kind of high profile cases of VAR being used, you know, in in world football and, you know, in one of the biggest stages and yeah, I mean, it was, it was obviously used in the first leg, but this, you know, the drama, the, the timing of it was, you know, just, you know, it just felt really momentous and of course, being a Spurs fan, you know, I fear the worst. I immediately think, well, if there's even the tiniest chance that this is going to get ruled off, of course it's going to get ruled off. <laughs> uh, you know, it's flicked That's it. You know, um, and I just couldn't believe it. I, I just couldn't believe it was given. I the the Spurs fan of you know thirty plus years in me was just kind of expecting it just to. Yeah, nice try, and it's it's one yet another kind of glorious defeat for Spurs, and uh, yeah, that's it. But then, yeah, man, when it gets when it gets given, it's it's just yeah, amazing. I mean, absolutely amazing. But but of course, then yeah, I, I still thought there's there's a long way to go from there. It's twenty minutes, and yeah, it's uh, it's certainly not certainly not done. So, but little was the little could we imagine that uh, it would only be the second most controversial. Yeah, decision of the game. If I think about the time between the ball hitting the back of the net and the decision being reversed, that was a long time. You know, just that yeah. forty-five seconds, and that was at my end. That one, and as, as Sterling tucks it away, he wheels you know across the opposite post from where he sort of dribbles past, and off he goes to the corner flag, and he just launches himself into the crowd. And I'm only on about row ten, but it's probably maybe a hundred and fifty people, like a block or two round. So all I can see is just like just Sterling's just back on the crowd essentially he's just face piled into the crowd and we're just bouncing around I, I remember when I remember when we played United in the League Cup in 2010 and this was after it got snowed off um, talking of snowy games and when we got there this is when uh, it was the Tevez Neville bootlicker thing I think it was 2010 might have been might have been a bit later yeah anyway um, I remember was scoring a penalty. Tevez scored a penalty, drilled it down the middle, and he went to Gary Neville on the touchline. And my little sister was stood on a chair, and she got knocked off her chair. And she she smashed her shins on the chair in front, but everyone was just going mental. She was crying her eyes out, and it was just that kind of, like, not intentional violence, but it like almost felt violent how like ecstatic everybody was. She was in that much pain with her shin. She only would have been 10 or 11 at the time. Everybody started giving her pound coins. I don't think people know what to do in Britain other than give a kid a pound. And it might cheer him up, but it was just that same sort of tension coming out, and then that tension turned sour again when the the decision got reversed. And I just got in the car and I didn't even put the radio on. Like I used to love listening to the local radio. I just thought I can't, I can't listen to this. It was just awful, absolutely awful. Agony. Agony. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean. I mean, obviously, the contrast for <laughs> me at the end. I mean, I mean, just the. I mean, the build up to it was so sparse as well. I mean, we had the chance to clear it, and then we decided to start playing like bloody Barcelona ticket tackle on the edge of our own box, and we we're passing it out. Ericsson gets it. He decides, oh, I don't know, I'll turn around and play a kind of risky pass backwards and. It's just so Spurs, and you just think this is how we're going to go out. This is an this is an absolute nightmare. And I I was watching it, yeah, you know, it's like when you watch a game in Australia, and I was watching it on my iPad, and 
yeah, we we get up at five o'clock in the morning to watch these games, and I yeah, I, I hurled my iPad <laughs> across the room, <laughs> and uh, in in a hissy fit, and I just couldn't believe they'd done this, and it was so spurs. And then I thought, and I was, I said, no, you got to take your medicine because only then can you really appreciate the good times of the football fan if you really kind of take your medicine and feel the pain. So I reluctantly went up and put the iPad back on, logged back into the app and everything. Everything shut down because I've you know, hurled it across the room like a child. And, uh, you know, I've got it back on and it's it still got the screen on, say, VAR check-in. And, and I kind of realised, oh, oh, my God, it's, <laughs> you know, this, this might have happened. And then, of course, the decision and it's, I mean, it, it, it's hard for Spurs fans. I think, I think a lot of Spurs fans will probably... The semi-final will probably, you know, in some ways was be even more momentous and even yeah. more emotional because we actually won the game and, yeah, circumstances, it was, you know, last kick of the match kind of thing. Yeah. But until that point, this was it. You know, this was almost one of the most, you know, emotional things that we put through as Spurs fans. And, yeah, I just dropped to my knees and just shaking my head. It, it wasn't like we're celebrating a goal. You know, it was just complete shock and disbelief, and I think you know we're actually going to do it. And then to to top things off, we should have bloody scored. I mean, yes, that's a, right. Yeah, the breakaway right right at the end, and we were about three on two, and it was Sonny who had the chance, and I was screaming. I think yeah, I was scaring my kids, and half the street were probably awake. And <laughs> yeah, but anyway, certainly not certainly not greedy, but that would have settled the nerves once and for all. I think well, if it wasn't for Leroy Sane, and I think it's the only time he's trapped back into the box. I love Sane, really exciting player to watch, but that's just not his territory. It would have been, um, it, it would have been, it would have been a goal. But yeah, I got back from the wedding in the end, and I was jet lagged, and I think that was the second leg of the semi final um, when I was uh, when I was back, and I switched on the iPad and I watched Spurs in bed. And first day back in Australia as a as a married man, um, my wife orders us a McDonald's. You know, it's like half past four in the morning, and we switch on the game and. Ah, oh, I'll just enjoy football for what it is. I think you're right. You've got to take your medicine and just hope that you can get back, you know, next time. And um, as it stands right now, mate, it's a case of just getting back playing when it's uh, when it's safe to do so. But it does make these moments. Um, I think whether you 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 have something to celebrate, you know, even happier, and when there's um, something that doesn't go your way, you know, especially if you're there as a fan and you watch it, you go. Yeah, that is what it's kind of being about. You can always look back on that as a fan when you are there and you go through it as, yeah, I was there. And it, it, that is part of being a fan at the same time. It is the rough with the smooth. So um, sort of fond memories of a great football match, but not so fond memories of the result is, is how I'll summarise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, funny. Well, yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> funny to be saying that, a game that you won and we lost, but... Uh... Yeah, so it was. Yeah, so so it was, and yeah, I say it was. You know, two of our biggest nights in the club's history have been four three losses in, in kind of recent history. That one in the uh, interval in the Bale game you know, over in San Siro. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, but, but this one was just um, yeah something I think yeah we'll, we'll never never forget never forget what, what an amazing game. <laughs> Geez, my God, I bet you'll never forget. Yeah, there was absolute drama that one, and there was so much of the game that I'd forgotten. You know, how good the, some of the goals were, and 
or just reliving some of the emotions and the stress and the excitement and then on the pain and going around that merry-go-round a couple of times. Fantastic to uh, catch up with Will as well, absolute legend and um, really appreciate his uh, his time, uh, effort and he's obviously given that a lot of thought to, to to have a chat. You obviously got those mates, haven't you, where um, you know, you the, the just bitter rivalry gets in the way and you sometimes can't talk sense about football. Um but I love the balance chat that we uh, that we got from from Will there. Absolutely fantastic. Well hopefully one more episode to squeeze in next week and uh, that'll do us as for us easing of restrictions uh, starts to kick in in Australia. Not so much in Victoria where I'm based. We've been um, a little bit slower than some of the other states but um you know, you don't jump out of a plane, release your parachute and shoot a hole in it before you land. And um, we've almost made that soft landing now, which is which is good. Um, and it's time to kick on with um, a couple of other projects potentially. So, uh, yeah, this has been great practice uh, in terms of putting podcasts together. Although uh, I do confess a little bit of work to be done on the sound quality. I've actually identified one of the community libraries in the city, uh, has recording booths. And um, I'm hoping when I get into what is my, my super passion, which is the sort of concourse umbrella that I've got, that I can get some scripts together and get back into into the city, uh, maybe record a, a series of podcasts there. Because I mentioned in the past, like I've been having a chat with Stonewall, the guys behind the Rainbow Laces. Um, I've also got a connection. Uh, I'm looking to establish a connection with St. Pauli um, because they've got a, a big men's mental health group after one of the fans paid the ultimate price for, for suffering with depression um, a few years back and they didn't want anyone else to, to suffer that again. I've spoken to organisations that are um, providing a, a place to, to play uh, and enjoy football for people with disabilities, um, as well as also speaking to an AFL club here who are trying to really play a role um, for, for men's mental well, uh, men's general well-being um, within, within their local community. Um, so doing a bit of research in the background and it will be time to just put more uh, attention onto that. Uh, across the coming weeks but in being a you know a, a big champion of grassroots you can talk the talk but I've got to walk the walk as well so I'll be getting involved with my local football club who I'll be making a few cameo appearances for in the in the resis over the coming weeks we are hoping to get the season back up and running and I'm going to sort of manage their website and a bit of social media and, and, and stuff like that so yeah nice to have a volunteering opportunity nice to have somewhere where you can go to and, and get out of the house after spending so much time in it across the last few months it's cold at the moment moment um you uh you want to be out and about but you need to be on your toes and staying warm so i'm grateful that we've got a football club so local uh, and so conveniently located where i can do that i might also well be doing a bit of coaching with um the under 16s team still in in chats with the with the local club about that and um yeah again it's always nice to sort of uh, give back to the community i think i've managed four three different under 16s teams now and this would be my my fourth one i would like a run at a slightly different age group or maybe get involved with the ladies that's an area i've not done before but you take what you can get obviously uh obviously if you want to if you want to help so yeah a couple of nights a week will be spent doing that which means this will uh will wind down but um, it's been a great experience so far and, and look forward to the to the, the next and maybe last one next week. Well, anyway, I'll let you get back to it. Thanks for listening. Um, the music, as always, is a jingle provided by Mr. Kevin McLeod. And this is recorded in my home studio office spare bedroom situation, Concourse HQ. Um, but it is on the uh, the traditional lands of the Boone Wurrung tribe who uh, were located in, in Port Phillip and still located in Port Phillip Bay. With that, I bid you farewell. Enjoy the little bit of football that you get back uh, wherever you are or whatever you can access wherever you are. Stay safe and I'll speak to you soon.
Thank you.